to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 7 at verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you chose to join me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, right away in verse 1 of chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, where it says this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So we find here in chapter 7, a sort of literary interlude, you might say, uh, that is a break in the pattern that has been established so far in uh, chapter 6, and um, that is the pattern of opening up each one of these seals one by one that had been uh, sealing this scroll. And uh, the Lamb of God is the one and the only one that is qualified to open these seals. And we've gone through the first six of those that were opened in chapter 6. But um, the actual context of opening that seventh seal uh, doesn't happen until much later, and uh, that's in chapter 8. But uh, uh, in the meantime, and it's almost like it is in the meantime, uh, John uh, is exposed to this, uh, this other vision, and it's, it's like a parenthesis, you might say. These are the main characters that God wants to call attention to, even in the midst of unbinding this scroll by breaking these seals, and each seal carries with it a certain uh, uh, segment of judgment and uh, a sequence in, as such. And we believe that those, those seven seals, as they were broken, and the, the first six are in some sort of a, um, uh, a time signature, even though they are not timed out uh, specifically, we're not given exactly uh, what the timetable 
is for each one of these to be opened, but uh, we do believe that they were done so in a sequence, and that is uh, uh, on earth they were experienced in this sequence of events. And um, so then, um, there is that uh, one question that was asked at the end of the chapter uh, by by the lost uh, that w- that had experienced this uh, this great earthquake, and and evidently there were vo- there was uh, volcanic a- uh, uh, action as well, and uh, all around the earth perhaps, and it had clouded the sun, and also had colored the moon by um, by all the debris in the air and uh and whatever that was, it caused great men, powerful men, uh, to flee to their bunkers and b- flee to their caves and and rocks and uh, and hide behind things and under things and and uh, go to their silos or uh, uh, any number of places you might say. Uh, and it says that they they basically cried out. What's interesting is is. Um, he says, uh, uh, it says in chapter six, uh, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They knew that what they had experienced for these first six seals being opened on the earth as judgment upon them. And especially this final one here, this sixth, this sixth one um, was uh, so terrifying that uh, they, they cried out. What's interesting, they they don't cry out in repentance. They don't cry out in saving faith. But what's interesting is they do cry out to the appropriate person. Uh, they seem to know who's behind all this. And how they know, I, I don't know personally uh, how they do that. Uh, but uh, evidently, by the time this happens, they know very well that this is the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, in his most powerful, authoritarian, uh, uh, authoritative position, you might say, uh, exercising his rule back over the earth and over the kingdoms of the earth, and they understand that, and they blame him. They don't repent and come to him because the same uh, lamb is the one who shed his blood for them, but uh, they don't come to him in saving faith. That's what the ironic thing of that statement is. And so they there seems to be this desperation, even though it's not over with yet, and uh, this is not the climax yet. Uh, there is many more. Uh, uh, to, uh, there are many more to come still yet, and uh, and yet there's this desperation. At least at this moment, after the breaking of this sixth seal. And uh, even the leaders and the most powerful people of the earth are humbled, and uh, they they hide themselves with this desperate prayer, uh, and their only prayer is to hide us. And um, it's almost as if now that... Uh, that uh, John sees this scene and sees this future, um, that God wants to show John that there is an there is another thing that's going to happen on the earth besides the opening of the seals and the judgments upon the earth and the judgments even that make grown men cry and uh, and uh, leaders and. Uh, 
authorities and kings and rulers and powerful men uh, uh, fall on their knees behind rocks and uh, and and uh, with this desperate prayer and and so he wants to comfort John by saying there is something parallel that's going to happen at the same time and it involves other people not these people but the other people and uh, so with that in mind, that's where we find chapter 7. So it says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now these four corners uh, are not intended to somehow support uh, um, uh, uh, geographically some sort of flat earth kind of theory, uh, but it is, it is a merely natural expression to talk about the four directions or the four points of a compass. And that's exactly what this means. Uh, the four points of the compass, and evidently these angels have a responsibility, uh, and various angels have different responsibilities, but these four powerful angels have responsibility over, uh, at least to a certain degree, over the weather of all things, and the winds, and um, and even though winds come from all different directions, uh, they're described here uh, consistent with the, the natural expression of the four points of the compass. There are four winds of the earth. And uh, notice it says, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending. This is a fifth angel, evidently, from the rising of the sun. He comes out of the east. Um, that's what that uh, phrase refers to, having the seal of God, um, uh, of the living God. This is not an idol God. This is not a dead God. This is not an impersonal God. This is the living God, and he has his own seal. This is not a seal that's to be broken. This is a seal that is to be applied in the middle of breaking these seals of judgment, uh, God is going to place a seal of of uh, preservation upon certain group of people. And uh, uh, that's what's going on here. And uh, what's interesting is uh, chapter 6 and verse 11, he's sort of already hinted at this uh, in the earlier, uh, in the fifth seal, uh, talking about the martyrs under the altar. And it says in chapter 6 and verse 11, and there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until, look at this, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So even in the fifth seal, in uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 11, uh, there um, is, is this uh, prophetic word to these original uh, first uh, martyrs during the tribulation period, during this final seven-year period, uh, that uh, the first martyrs uh, are already there. Their souls are there in heaven, uh, and they're described as being under the altar in heaven somewhere. And uh, and what's interesting is uh, that they are told this prophetic statement about their fellow servants and their brethren. And what seems to be uh, consistent here is that there is uh, there is this uh, attachment, uh, this familial attachment uh, uh, on the one hand, and yet there is this this uh, uh, ministry attachment on the other. Well, that's exactly what we find in chapter seven. 
7. So chapter 7 is kind of a completion or an explanation uh, of uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 11 in some regards. So uh, it's like uh, John is now seeing something of what has been promised to these altar, these uh, these martyrs under the altar in heaven, and these original ones that there was there were going to be other martyrs to come, uh, but uh, but they're they're going to be segmented, they're going to be itemized in some regards, and uh, that's where we find ourselves, and so that's the reason why these destroying angels that have the power over the winds of the earth that they are told not to harm the earth. Now, the earth has already been harmed. That is true. Uh, a quarter of the earth has been harmed by the this great earthquake and all these uh, volcanoes and other, other things that were happening, as well as the cosmic things of the stars and, and uh, uh, asteroids and meteorites falling out of the sky. Uh, that was a, a scary thing, but it's not over with yet. That's only just beginning. And, uh, and so now he says what normally would happen after these cosmic disturbances uh, would have originated, uh, there would have been a, uh, such a displacement of, of uh, temperatures of the air and a lot of other things that uh, there would be winds. And yet these angels are told to hold back the wind until we do this work of sealing these, uh, these particular ones. It says, and so it says, I, uh, he cried out uh, with a loud voice, to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, verse 3, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Well, we'll get to that sealing process uh, right after this break. We're going to take a musical interlude right here. Welcome back. So uh, this angel has given this announcement to the four um, uh, weather angels, these, these, uh, these angels that had been in charge of holding back uh, the wind action uh, from the earth and uh, keeping the wind at, at bay for a, a little while longer uh, until uh, this process of sealing these particular individuals on their foreheads. And... Um, you see, because part of the question that was asked by these powerful people in the uh, in the sixth seal uh, was that uh, uh, save us from the or hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They didn't 
cry out to, to uh, save us. They, they merely said to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And uh, so the question, the natural question perhaps in somebody's mind would be, is anybody going to be saved? This is, this is going to be massive destruction and disruption in, in the earth and on the earth and in humanity. Uh, is there going to be any salvation there? Is there going to be any rescue? Is anybody going to last uh, throughout this uh, this time? And this is the answer. There will be those, and um, there will be certain ones of those that will uh, will last. There will be others that will be martyred. But there will be salvation in many regards, spiritually and physically. And so that's where we get here uh, to verse 4. It says then, uh, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. What's interesting is is that we find a, a tributary uh, uh, back in the Old Testament. We find something about this kind of thing happening uh, with Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord said to him, uh, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. So in the middle of the of the downfall, the moral and the religious downfall of the city of Jerusalem, Ezekiel was commanded to go through the city and mark those who were mourning the downfall and the immorality uh, and the corruption and the religious corruption and the idolatry in Jerusalem. Those who wept over that, that he was to mark those because those were the ones that were responding to the circumstances around them with uh, with God's perspective rather than the human perspective of uh, of sin and unrighteousness and wickedness and violence and so so this is similar here that's the way we understand it is somehow there is this supernatural seal and it may be visible on their physical bodies we're not quite sure uh, but uh, but it seems as though that this has a protective quality now we know that uh, believers today in the church and in the churches they are sealed uh, according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise. So we have a spiritual seal inside of us upon our soul. Now, it doesn't necessarily uh, imply that uh, that means we are physically uh, protected from all physical harm or injury or disease. Uh, It might on occasion, but but it does mean that we are sealed spiritually for for the day of the Lord and for uh, for his coming. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 30 repeats the same idea. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's what I meant to say a while ago, the day of redemption. And uh, and so we, we were sealed for that, spiritually speaking. And, uh, and yet here, this is a different kind of a seal, whether it's visible or invisible. This is more than just a spiritual seal over spiritual warfare or spiritual embattlement. This is a, a different kind of a seal. It has, it has the protective quality against all sorts of 
things, uh, including the judgments that are being unfolded throughout this book here. Um, and, uh, and those judgments, they will be protected from them. Uh, if those judgments involve natural causes, you might say, or natural uh, eruptions or, or uh, uh, those kinds of things will not harm them, injury, or, or give them any injury. And, th- and these evidently will not be martyrs in the sense, in the normal sense of the word. Uh, they will survive and they will not be able to be martyred because of their survival. And they will be survival uh, in, in this case because they will be sealed. And that's the important thing. Notice from uh, this seal is 144,000 and it is upon uh, every tribe of the sons of Israel. This is, I do not believe that we should somehow just magically start uh, turning into symbols here. Uh, Why why can't we just take this exactly as it says in its natural phraseology and its natural words and its natural sentences that there is the sons of Israel. There are Jewish people that will be sealed and these Jewish people will be 144,000 in number. This isn't a symbolic number. It is a number. It was. It is a finite number. It is a number that uh, represents uh, one times 12 times 12 uh, times a thousand. And uh, that's what that number is. Uh, And we'll get to the details here in a moment. But you see, uh, uh, now this, this, uh, the idea of holding back the wind, uh, just, just uh, as a uh, as a footnote here, the idea of holding back the wind is kind of temporary until the sealing process is over here. And, uh, and so we find that uh, th- this becomes a part of the judgments of the tribulation uh, later in uh, chapter 8, verse 7, all the way through chapter 9, verse 21. Uh, you, you seem to see that uh, that uh, those things are now lifted and those restrictions are lifted because this has now taken place that we are currently reading. And so, so you see, it says uh, this is 144,000, uh, and that's a, that's a number. It is an actual number from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Uh, there's no reason to take that as as symbolic of the church or symbolic of, of uh, Christians today or symbolic of something else. It, you don't have to. You don't have to take it as a symbol. Take it as for what it is. There will be 144,000 Jewish uh, believers in the Messiah who will be sealed during the tribulation period. And and just so you don't get confused that somehow we may have misinterpreted uh, verse 4, we are given the list. We're given the list in verses 5 through 8. And that list includes names. He names the names in the list and then numbers each name in the list for those that were sealed uh, from each tribe of the nation of Israel. And uh, so that means from, uh, from the tribe 
tribe of Judah, uh, 12,000 were sealed. Uh, The tribe of Judah became the the royal tribe, even though the firstborn would have been Reuben, uh, Judah was chosen to be the royal tribe instead of... uh, instead of Reuben, and so he's listed first. And from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. You see, it's almost as if God says, I don't want you to be confused about this. I want to be very clear about what this means about these 144,000. And they're not Gentiles. They're Jewish people. And just to make sure you know they're Jewish people, I'm going to itemize each one of the tribes and the uh, 12,000 from each tribe. And so it says, and from the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. Now, Manasseh happened to be a very large uh, geographic area, uh, both uh, on the east side of the Jordan River as well as the west side. And so it was almost like two tribes in one, you might say, uh, because of their geography. And yet, and yet they were all the sons of Joseph. That is, Manasseh was one of the sons of Joseph. The other one was Ephraim. But Ephraim isn't named in this list. Instead, the name Joseph is brought back uh, in verse 8. But let's continue reading from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000. What's interesting is Levi doesn't appear in some of the Old Testament lists of the tribes because Levi was a tribe that was not uh, given land itself. They were given cities. They were given uh, responsibilities over uh, the, uh, the temple, but they weren't given land itself. And so because of that, they weren't named as recipients of land. In this case, though, they are named as recipients of this seal. And there were 12,000 from this um, otherwise uh, priestly tribe, and yet uh, they are now named in the list of 12 here. And from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Benjamin was a small tribe. And uh, and it was, uh, a lot of the times, it was absorbed by the tribe of Judah. But here, it's brought back into uh, full uh, flesh, you might say, into uh, full uh, acknowledgement. And what's interesting is the tribe of Dan is not named in this list. And uh, uh, evidently that may be because either there is no more tribe of Dan in existence or because uh, of uh, discipline upon that tribe because of their extreme uh, immorality and their extreme idolatry especially. And so so this is exactly what is happening here is these 12 tribes have these representatives, 12,000 from each tribe. And so they will serve uh, some uh, somewhat in, in this last half of the tribulation period uh, by being, I think, uh, what uh, uh, seems to imply that they are the evangelists for those who are yet to come to Christ during the tribulation period. And that, that, that uh, fruitfulness that come from their testimony after having been sealed and sent out into the world, uh, they lead others to the Messiah. And uh, 
I think that's what the last half of chapter 7 is all about, is the fruitfulness of what their ministry accomplished even during all of this persecution and all of this uh, judgment uh, that is being poured out upon the unbelieving world. And in the middle of this, these 144 Jewish Billy Grahams are going uh, all around the world and uh, preaching the gospel and leading Gentiles to Christ. Because notice chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, this next group, it says, a great multitude which no one would count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. So this is a Gentile group. It's a massive group because of the work of these uh, 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And uh, that is an encouragement to John. Thank you, Father, for these words of encouragement to us. Thank you, Father, that you give us an insight that you are a merciful God, continuing to save souls, continuing to find a way to preserve a remnant of believers, even among your people, the Jewish people, the tribes of Israel. Thank you, Father, that you would continue to do that work and call out those people by your name, and they would acknowledge you as your God, as their God, and uh, would confess Yeshua HaMashiach, that Jesus is our Messiah. He is our Lamb of God who took away our sins. In his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>